What's up, everybody? This is your boy, comedian Marlon Ballard. I'm sitting here with the very talented Woodrow, Woody from Drew Hill, formerly a dope solo artist, everything of the above, man. Great songwriter, producer, and an all-around great guy. What's up, Wood? How you doing, man? Oh, man, I thank you for that introduction, brother. Hey. You feel a little important. Hey you, hey, you deserve it, man. You deserve it, man. Hey, I grew up on you, man, and I'm glad to call you a friend. You one of the bros, man. I appreciate you for doing this interview with me, man. Brother, definitely a brother, man. Since since the first day I came in contact with you, man, nothing but love, man. All respect for real. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What have you been doing this during this pandemic, man? You've been you've been keeping away from people? Man, I keep away from people all the time. Dude, I actually be honest, I actually kinda miss me. It's a little different when you used to stay in your little bubble instead of getting forced into your little bubble. It's it's a big difference, man. I'm I'm still adjusting. That's what I'm talking about, man. So I I want I want to get to know you a little bit more, man. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw out some questions. Like I just want to get to know who who you are, why you are the way you are, and everything. So who discovers you when it comes to like who inspires you when it comes to music? Like who did you like listening to growing up? And a lot of gospel music, a lot of like Daryl Coley, Commission, The Winans. And people always, when I would sing at church, like they would always compare me to Stevie Wonder. But the crazy thing is, I never knew what Stevie Wonder sounded like because Stevie Wonder ain't sing gospel music. All I knew was like Daryl Cody and Kata Oscar who had similar tones to him, really could connect with what everybody was talking about. But before that time, I ain't know what nobody was talking about. And people used to say it all the time, you know? And then came Jodeci which is like one of the biggest influences of all. I know they have been influenced on YouTube. I saw you even had the, um, the mask on. Hey, yeah, I, man, got, them I got guys, the mask. I saw the them hat, do it coming from. Shirt, everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, sir. You, you, you. Man, you right up there with me, man. I I, I tell them I'm the fifth member. Devontae won't let me in the group. I'm like, I'm the fifth member. Let me in the group, dog. Come on, man. I can do I know all the riffs, runs, the ooh, yeah. I know all that. Man, you sound just like me. And the crazy thing about it, like I used to have like every outfit that they wore. I get me like the the poor man's replica of it and wear it to school. And I was just ready, like I was just going to get a phone call out of nowhere, or mental telepathy, and they was going to tell me the spot to meet him at for real. And the crazy thing about it, Daryl Pearson, who is one of the guys who was like with working with Devontae on like the sound on the production side, uh -huh. he had a cousin that went to my high school. And he heard me singing, his cousin heard me singing, and he gave me Daryl's phone number, but I never called it. Like, the whole time we was in high school, I was like, man, I'm not going to call this man if he cussed me out and tell me to get off his phone. Like, <laughs> beat it, kid. I never called. And then when we finally, we actually did a song with him, or like a couple of songs with him for our first album, and I told him who his cousin was, and I told him that I had got his number. He said, man, you should call me. Why you ain't never called me? So I was definitely kicking myself behind that, because I'd have loved to even have been part of the basement crew. Up hey. until the point where they said the vocals start smacking everybody. I didn't want to get smacked. So maybe everything worked out for the best. It it, it definitely worked out for the best, man. <laughs> yeah, you so your influence is definitely like I, I respect those. Like Stevie Wonder, the Joe the like that's that's a good thing to come up on, you know? And that I could tell that influenced your songwriting because you got like you got classics, Wood, like from April Showers, Angel. I'm like, bro, like and I and I always let you know how how special the songs are, man. My man, I'm gonna send you something too. When we get off of here, and it's like the real influence of me as a songwriter. Mm -hmm. It's the gold. You remember the books? You're a little younger than me, so you might not remember. It was like these golden books, and they came with records, like these little small 45 records. Uh, and yeah, it was yeah. a song. Oh, my time. The, um, yeah, it was a book called the Saggy Baggy Elephant. And it's like, you can read along with me in your book. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear the saggy eggy elephant go. <laughs> and then like the elephant read the story. And it was the one song that the elephant sung. And he was sad because he didn't look like anybody else in the jungle. And mm. so like he sung that one song. And that's where I get like, if you hear that song, you hear like the melody basis for a lot of the stuff that I created. Because it's like along them same type of melodies and stuff like that that I started creating. All because of that, man. It just, that that carried it a long way, cause man, it, it's like when, when when your verse came on the, on the songs, like I'm like, yo, like this man put that right. You put that pen to that paper and you wrote 
that part. I'm like, yo, you you wrote the hell out of that song. With was somebody on your mind when you like wrote them songs? Did you write April Shouts for a particular person, or what? Like, what was that? That one was it. That one was a birthday gift to my first girlfriend, and it wasn't meant to be on our album. It was something that I did with like the extra studio time we had after we came in, and me and Note used to do a lot of the like the foundational work for the stuff on the first album. Like he would come up with some chords or whatever, and then I would come in and write to it, and we put our heads together or whatever on that type of stuff. So we had one, we had a session, and I told him that I wanted to do something for my girlfriend for her birthday. So we used the rest of the studio time after we did what we came to do to record that. And it was a lady at the time named Kim Jordan, and she used to work with us on like our vocal lessons and stuff not really teaching us how to sing but teaching us how to blend as a group yeah and like how to really like pronounce our words the same so that our unison will be good like we used to have to stand and face each other and sing and it used to be so terrible because we like just some high school like some kids straight out of high school so we just stand there laughing the whole time and I had developed a list because I was mocking my mom used to always say if you imitate somebody you're gonna get stuck talking like them so don't mock people <laughs> my, my, my um girlfriend had like a little list but you know it's cute on girls but it's not cute on a dude you feel me so like she used to try to work hard with me to say words and she'd be like say self and I'm like self and she said say this and say that and they all would laugh at me and it's crazy if you notice now, one of them still got lists for making fun of me. And they still never got over it, but I was hilarious. So I don't have it no more, but that was the worst at that time. But she actually on. heard April Shower. Yeah, she heard it and she was like, this don't sound because at that time it was a big concern of us sounding like Joe's. Because that was uh, somebody that, that was a group that we all looked up to. So it was only natural that certain things was gonna remind you of Josie. So when she heard April Shower, she said, this don't sound like Josie. This don't sound like nobody. This need to be on the album. And it wasn't even meant to be on the album. That was just meant for me to do that, give it to her, happy birthday, and go ahead about my business. But when she heard it, she like made a plug for that to be on the album. And then when she said it, I got hyped too. I was like, dang, yeah, I want solo. Everybody else got a solo. I might as well get me one. So I kind of pushed for it after that too. And that's how that got to be on there. But I had to write, all my parts for real because like when a lot of people would come to me so they ain't write anything for me so if i wanted a part i had to write my own part in there so that kind of like it was good it helped me to sharpen my skills for real like if you want to be in here like they say the people say now if it wasn't no table for them they had to build their own table exactly i had to write my own verses to be able to be on parts of songs and stuff so i mean all in all it made me better you know as a writer and made me better as an artist and come out of my shell you know, because I couldn't just show up to the studio and just expect something to be there waiting for me. I had to come to the studio ready to just get in where I fit in and jump in on wherever I felt like I could jump in on some stuff. So it was a, what they call it, the beautiful struggle. Exactly. It was beautiful, man. It made me my wings, spread my wings as an artist and use my creative writing skills that I have from elementary school. Man, and, and, and I, I'm going to tell you that I ain't never told nobody this story. My, my ex, I wrote her, uh, her birthday came. And I got her a card and I put the lyrics mm-hmm. from your verse on So Special in there. And every time I close my eyes, I'd like, I put that in there. Okay. She was like, that's so beautiful. I'm like, yeah, you know, I wrote that. He's like, <laughs> so I tried not to play that song with you. <laughs> Man. She, she still has the card hanging up in her room. So I'm like, look at me up here lying. Oh, talking about I wrote this. <laughs> Well, that, hey, man, that was, uh, Ali Oop from, from my brother, man. I threw hey. it up there and then you, you nailed it in the basket. So, hey, 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 imagine how many dudes really do that. They'll find some lyrics to a song and be like, yo, you know what? I'm going to write this in here. She's going to think it's like. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Hey, man. Thank yeah. was That was the Ali Oop from you, man. So I appreciate you for that. Um, hey, I'm always happy to help. <laughs> so, um, like, it's. it's Y'all came out at the time, like, you came out around, like, the 96, like, between 96 and, and 2000. Y'all ran the game pretty much. So what is a – um, who was a collaboration that you really wanted to – like, a collaboration you really wanted to happen, but it, like, it didn't or it, stuff just got in the way? Like, who did you really want to work with? I wanted to work with I'll Be Sure. I wanted be- to have a writing session with I'll Be Sure and come back with so many songs to present to the group that we had came up with. I'd have loved to collaborate with Devontae, Swain. 
I was blessed to actually do a duet with KC though. It never got like officially released, but you can look it up on YouTube. It's um, me and KC and it's called Cleaning Up My Act. It's actually a gospel song that we did together. So that was a big dream come true. And I still would love to do that with Jojo. I would love to collaborate with Jojo and I would love to collaborate with Stevie Wonder. Like those are my other two on my list that I would love to make something happen for real. But uh, to be able to sing with K, I actually had to go back home and cut all my vocals over because I was so nervous and so excited to be singing in the room with K. Like I still got the videos, like I'm printing like I just won the lottery or something, just printing like an idiot the whole time for real. And he's like, sing boy, sing it. I'm like, this Mike, like, well, I had to right now. Like, can't I wait till I get home? He's like, nah, he's saying. So it's like, it came out cool, but I had so many, other, I had brain freeze. So I had to go home and put all my harmonies and stuff on there. Cause I couldn't even think to do that at the time. Cause I was just so excited to be in the same room with him and hear him singing something that I wrote to hear him singing my words off the paper and asking me, was it okay when he got finished singing? I'm like, of course it's okay. You could beatbox and spit in the bucket and it would sound okay to me because it's you for real. But to actually have him to show me that love and show me that courtesy for real, that was a blessing. Like I was like, man, I really can retire at this point. I don't work with somebody who I always looked up to from young, from a, a child and to actually have him right here in the room me singing my song. Don't get too much better than that, man, for a little brother from Baltimore. That's that's an out-of-body experience to have one of the people you looked up to like in the same room, man. That's mm-hmm. man. So it in that in that time frame, because around when y'all came out, Jodeci had took a break. Casey and Jojo went solo. And y'all mm-hmm. y'all pretty much, I think, in my opinion, y'all carried the torch going forward. Cause it was y'all, yeah, one twelve, jagged edge. Like groups were starting to kind of fade away, but y'all held y'all's own. So, um, is is there anybody who who was your biggest competition? Like, y'all would come out with something and you'd be like, "Damn, that was good." All right, we got to bring it next album. Like, like who was that that group that y'all made y'all get y'all stuff together? Man, it really wasn't nobody. It's like we all. I looked at everybody who we was all in it. It's like the NFL. You know, like it's all different teams and it's like everybody got their strength. They got their thing that they do very well. And then the next group over here got their thing over here that they do very well. Mm-hmm. I actually like when we actually got the chance to go on shows and stuff together. You know, like we'd watch each other's shows and stuff like that. Like I remember doing the first time we met 112, we was doing something with R. Kelly. He had a um song that was on a Princess Diana soundtrack, I think. And he had like everybody who was out at that time. It was called, the song is called Every Nation. Never got, I don't remember it getting like a big push, but it was a video and all, it's on YouTube. And 112 was in the room, you know, Deron plays the keys. So yeah. like he got yeah. on the piano. Yeah, he got on the piano and started playing Tell Me because it was around the time we first came out and they started singing it. And it like messed me up to hear, you know, like even these other soul voices over here that I felt like we all had so much in common but they were marketed one way and pushed one way and we were marketed, I guess, like and pushed a different way. But yeah. I, I, I used to love to hear them like their acapella arrangements and stuff like that. Like we did something they were doing for soundcheck. They did like the national anthem, but the way they did it was like crazy. And then we had a person in the national anthem that was crazy also. So I felt like we had so much in common to the point where I used to wish that People like us, you know how NFM where they did, um, what is this numbers in your pocket? Before yeah. that, I didn't see them doing a whole lot of dancing. And I saw us doing a whole bunch of dancing and I'm not a dancer. So I'm like, dang, they don't be dancing. Everybody get a chance to sing, for real. I'm like, man, I want to be over here. And I was like, you should, they could take Mike because Mike have a, a raspy voice, like similar to Cisco and Jay. So I was like, he'll fit right in with them. I'm more smooth, let me go over here with Q. And Slim and, and Derod and them, I used to really want to get traded to 112 for real. And oh, okay. Okay, so, so, you, so you wanted to be, so you you could see yourself in 112. Yeah, because they was more like, they had more like a, um, like a Boys to Men feel to me. Because like in Jodeci, you had two primary singles. And then you had Devontae on the beats. Mm-hmm. And then you had Dalvin on the raps and everything like that. But like most of the singing was between Casey and JoJo. Yes. So definitely. with me leaving the group, right, with me leaving the group from the beginning, like I started the group with like three other guys that didn't even end up being in the group. 
But then when my mom took me out of the group, when I came back, it was almost like you had a job and you were a manager. And then when you come back because you quit or you left or whatever, you had to start back at an entry level. See what I'm saying? Because like when I started the group, Jazz wasn't in the group. So when I came back, mm -hmm. Cisco and Jazz was already like tag teaming and doing all the leads off of each other for real. So it wasn't really nowhere for me to get it. I had to just basically get in where I fit in, do some little ad libs here and there, write myself a little bit on the bridge or something like that. But when you used to getting your your fair share of the, the, the verses and stuff like that, and then you don't get them no more, it's just like, um, just like I said, like you just used the manager at the job and now you like the, the greeter or you like the, the entry level guy or something like that. Mm -hmm. I never really, that never really sat well with me. So I more so like, even though I love Jodeci, I love Boys and Men and Jodeci, but like I'm more of a fan of Jodeci because they were just so raw, but I'm a fan of Boys and Men, how they used to pass the baton around to each other. You see what Man. I'm saying? Share the, share the lead, share the line, like, whereas though you got somebody who's, I'm not saying I'm the best thing in the world, but I'm saying I'm definitely capable of holding my own. You, and it's you like, definitely I want, hold your I want own. To get in the game. Just like with appreciate it, just like a basketball player, like there's certain people that'll be content just to be on the Lakers or, you know, whatever team is winning or whatever, the Cavs, whoever, and just be on the team, never get on the court, never get on the field if it's football or baseball or whatever like that. And just when they win the championship, you still get a ring, you still get a trophy, you still get to ride on the float in the parade and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I want to contribute. Like I'll say, I always said, I wouldn't mind, you know, being on a team that don't win no championships, but they, for the people, the sports commentators say before he showed up, he wasn't winning no games. Now mm -hmm. when he's on the team, they won half of their games this season. That's the victory to me, rather than being on a team where right. though I'm not doing nothing, just sitting there with a clean jersey with not even no sweat on it at the end of the night. <laughs> And we win, but I didn't contribute. You know, like we watched the highlight tracks or whatever, the highlight um, reel. Everybody like, what you do, yo? What you done? Oh, you play for them? What you doing on there? I made sure everybody wore the code. I made I get the Gatorade for everybody and everything like that. Like, that ain't my thing. You know, hey, I gave the speech. I'm the one that motivated everybody to be great. I gave the speech, though. I ain't played. I gave the speech. Yeah, I had perfect attendance. I showed up every day. I never missed a game. <laughs> you feel me? That wasn't enough for me. And that, I mean, no, not to nobody else, but it's just like with music is, you know, like I just wanted to, basically, I just wanted to do my part. I wanted to be allowed to do my part. And the way that things were set up, and I give, I put it on the fact that I left, like by me leaving, mm -hmm. and I'm having to get adjusted to doing things the way that they was doing it without me. Mm -hmm. Even though they asked me to come back, it wasn't to my same spot that I had before. So it's like, I yeah. never really could, I've never really could rock with that. And I basically rocked with it for as long as I could. Mm -hmm. And I've spoke up multiple times and let everybody times. know how I felt. And they would always say, oh, we going to do better on this album. We going to do better on the next album. Or we'll do a live performance. And they even come to me, like certain times, like Cisco would come to me, it's like, yo, yo, we love Josie, yo, but we really are not just like Josie, yo. We got three niggas that can sing, yo. I hope I can say niggas on here. But then it's like, we got three niggas that can sing, yo, so we do need to be, you know, pass the ball to you a little more or whatever. But that would just be a conversation after the show. And then as soon as we get to the next show, it'll be right back to more of the same. So, you know, I just got to a point where I was just like, man, if y'all doing it with y'all too, then what do I need to be here for? Like, if I'm not, you know, contributing, I'm not really doing anything, then what do I really need to be here for? So that was really the reason I left, like, uncut. Yeah. Saying it here uncut without all the edits and stuff how they do it to chop it up and make it seem like I was just being salty. I'm just exactly. I'm an alpha, you know, and alpha needs to be feel useful where he is. You see what I'm saying? If he's not feeling useful where he is, he'd rather go somewhere else that's maybe not as glorious, maybe not as shiny and flashy and stuff like that, but still getting used, you know? Mm -hmm. Like where I work, I don't show up. You know, like on that situation, if I didn't show up, I felt like wouldn't nobody really care one way or the other. But like working where I work, if I don't show up, it's about a whole bunch of people that's going to stop passing desk and ask where I'm at. You see what I'm saying? Because what I'm doing is integral to what's going on. And that's all I need. That I have that need, feel needed where I am. Because if I feel like somebody else got it covered, I'm like, look, y'all go ahead handle that. Y'all got that. Y'all don't need me. Exactly. You know, just to sit there and grin. Y'all get anybody to do that. I used to ask, like, am I the dragon? You know, I mean, I'm definitely not a dragon. I read the Bible, according to the Bible, I definitely don't want to be a dragon. But in no. that, you know, whole perspective, exactly, in that whole aspect, I'm like, am I a dragon? Like a little backdrop in the back? I'm already got standing back everybody because I'm taller than everybody. 
And I'm like, I'm just standing here doing something that I'm not good at, which is dancing. Whereas though I could be somewhere else doing something that I am good at. And, you were always you know, vocal about dance. not liking to dance. And I understand you because there's people that like to dance and there's people that don't. You're a vocal guy, so you really didn't right. want to do all that. you like, hey, I want to sing. My gift is singing. I don't want to jump up and down and tell me, come on. Can we just sing the damn song? I want to put nothing foot forward. You feel me? Like, let me do what I'm good at. Let somebody else do what they good at. Like, I'm very big on, we had a song when I was in elementary school. It said, you got to accentuate the positive, mm-hmm. eliminate the negative, let you on to the affirmative, and don't mess with Mr. In-Between. And I just wanted to accentuate my positive qualities, which was singing and writing. I wanted to eliminate the negative. And that was something that I had a big issue with as well, because I would say, well, everybody else would have an issue, they would come to me. Like now, I didn't got my quarantine 15 on and stuff like that. And I probably had 20 or 35 on at that point from stress eating. But in the beginning, I was cut. I had my wings and was ripped and everything like that. And they would come to me and say, yo, shouldn't take your shirt off, yo, because if you take your shirt off, it's going to make Jazz look bad because he can't take his off, so keep yours on with Jazz. And then when it comes to singing, yo, you shouldn't sing because if I'm singing and Jazz singing and Nope not really singing like that, then you're going to make Nope look bad. They're going to ask why he's the only one that's not singing. So I would always take the L to make somebody else look good. But then when I would ask for somebody to take the L with me so I don't got to dance or even nobody even had to take the L, I would say, look, won't we do a gimmick and no disrespect to him because what I understand his situation is real, but Mike had a cane. I said, shoot, buy me a cane. And I will come out, or let me go to the mall and get a cane. I will come out with a cane and or whatever else I'll go to or the pizza store and get me a leg brace or whatever I'd like how Snow Cole had a knee brace on and make a reason why I'm not, oh no, we can't do that. You know, it's like always able to make sessions for everybody else's shortcoming. But when it was time to make my shortcoming, it was no way around. Oh no, we got to do that, baby. Ain't no way around that. We got to dance. But Yo, we don't, if I, don't I gotta say, see you come out with a cane, you know, I would have cried, dude. I would have been like, "This guy here, you been slow talking on all the songs." Let me tell you this. Let me tell you why it's not so far fetched. Puffy thought I was blind. Why? When we first, when we first did the first, it was called the Impact Music Conference. The first time that we ever performed live. Uh-huh. We I had shades because I used to wear I wouldn't I was scared to touch my eyes and put contacts in, and I didn't want to wear glasses. I'm like that. So too. when we went to shoot, tell me, yeah, we went to shoot. Tell me, I was in the camera like this, and <laughs> so the, the guy who used to train us with the dancing at the in the video shoot, like when everybody else went up to do their solo shots in the camera, point in the camera, do whatever they was doing. He's like, yes, such and such, yes, so and so. When I got up there, it just got quiet. And then I saw people in the huddle having a meeting. And then the next thing I know, somebody just walked over and bought me a pair of shades and put them on me. So then when I put the shades on, then they start, yes, what he rock, yes, yes, yes. So the shades was always my thing. And then the fact that I couldn't dance and my step was a little off from everybody else's and I had shades on. Puffy came up to the guy who discovered us and was like, I think that's brilliant that y'all put a blind guy in the group. And he wasn't trying to be funny enough in the way that he, he told us he thought, yeah, that I was up there messing up the steps and stuff and I had on the dark shades and stuff like that. So see, for me to have a little leg problem or whatever is, I think, a little bit better than, yeah, so not better, but I made it a little easier to, you know, fathom a guy being on stage, not saying that somebody that's blind can't make great music because Stevie's yeah. one of my favorites. Day from Enchantment, from what I understand, was in Stevie's class. They went to both went to school for the blind, so it's not unheard of. But to be in a group where you actually up and doing steps and stuff like that, I think it'd be a little bit more under, um, just as easy to accept a guy having a little leg problem or something like that. Shoot, boys, men did it. They was dancing their tails off, and Mike used to just bop past with the cane. Just with the cane, cool just walk by with the with the with the with the slow verse, like, "Hey, girl, I'm it's sorry I left." Like, oh, he's smooth. He's small, boy. Like, look at my clothes. Like, break it down, fellas. Get him. Get him. <laughs> Get so, him. <laughs> on the mic like how he used to do another bad creation. Shout yeah. out to them boys, too. Man, where you at, man? Shout out to them fellas. I'm cool with Ro on um, IG, my man, Ro Ro, man. Shout, Shout out, out to, to them fellas. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, they used to do their thing with with the, with the hike, man. I said, like, shoot, man, let me hike them up or whatever while they dance. I ain't got to get out. I can give them a little two-step. And I can do that with the cane. You, right you was you was happy being Michael Bivens. You was like, hey, get him, get him, new edition, get him. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Let me do that. You know what I'm saying? 
But they, <laughs> there's always Pazisky, oh, no, nah, we can't do that, you know. But when it comes time for me, oh, yeah, don't keep your shirt on, yo, don't sing. You make these guys look good. But when it comes time for me, like, no, nah, we can't help you. I'm like, all right, then. And that leads uh-huh. to my next question. Um, what is the what is the best and worst thing that happened to you on stage? Like, we're going to start with the best. Like, what's, like, you had, like, a great show. You was like, I can't believe this happened during this performance. Like, there's something great, and it's something that was just like, yo, what the, like, what happened? Do you have any of those moments? Man, yeah, man, shoot, let me think. Man, the best for me, it wasn't necessarily on stage, but I'm a big fan. Like, the whole time, I'm just like you. Like, even though I was in the industry and I was, you know, looked at as an artist as well and respected by some, you know, like they actually took the time to listen to the whole album and they heard what I was actually capable of. And people come up to me like, well, you're a bad boy. Like, I remember Joe LaVert came up to me after I did the little skit that I did on the second album where I was like, why didn't all that shit sang and all that? And I ran down the list of all the songs that I had parts on. I remember Joe LaVert coming up to me in a um, club in Ohio in Cleveland because he's real cool with jazz. So jazz invited him out. And he's like, nigga, I know you can sing. And he's like, check me <laughs> up a little I was like, that was dope coming from such a soulful singer, you know? Yeah. To, Gerald's a to, legend. You know, him to recognize and even Stevie Wonder, like being in South Africa and Stevie Wonder, I walked up to Stevie Wonder. We was um we was invited because, um what's his name? Nelson Mandela mm. had, invited everybody that he wanted on the show and then he asked his grandkids who they wanted on the show and his grandkids wanted us so like the whole time that we was there they would like play in Baltimore we call it nigga knockers where though you knock on somebody's mm-hmm. door and then you whatever they was doing that in our hotel like we'd come to the door they'd be doing a little jump or whatever and stuff like that it was really yeah. cool but like I walked up to Stevie Wonder and I was just like people say we sounded like he's like uh, he's like that's a good thing I said, like, yes, sir, it is. And he came and grabbed me and he said, come here. He said, don't let nothing happen to this group. I said, yes, sir. He said, because if something happened to the group, he said, come here and pull me close to him. He said, I'm going to fuck you up. And I'm like, dang, yo, that's Uncle Stevie. Yo. Like, he really was talking to me real, like a, a real person, not like a, you know, yeah. celebrity, not like anything else. He's talking to me like he really was my uncle for real. So it was like, that was one of my super high points. Once again, working with Casey mm-hmm. and actually Casey and JoJo's family is from Baltimore. They have family in Baltimore also. Really? Okay. And, yeah, like their family lived two doors down. When they was doing the whole Lil Cedric and the Haley singers, a mm-hmm. lot of the stuff that they was doing was from our radio station here called WBGR. And so when I first met them, when I first met their family, like they found out, we found out about each other. So like one of their aunts had passed away May she rest in peace, sweet, sweet lady. And so, like, her sister had asked me to sing at the funeral. So, like, I'm nervous. I'm like, I'm going to be singing somewhere with Casey and JoJo and, you know, like, all them singing folks going to be at. It was wild because, like, Casey, JoJo, their mom and their dad and their sister got up and sung a song together. And this was before the age of camera phones and all that stuff. Uh, I would love to have that on my, you know, in my... stuff that I own and footage and stuff that I own, but it was before that, so I didn't get it. But what happened was I sung at the funeral and like when I sung, JoJo had like left, like walked out while I was singing. Mm -hmm. And I took it like, dang, I must must be up here just sucking and blowing, man. I must be up here just horrible for real. But then like when it was over, I realized sometimes when you in the funeral stuff like that, like sometimes your emotions hit you at a certain time or yeah. maybe, you know, that might've been one of their favorite songs or something like that or whatever. And so it's like, just so you know, like originally when I first listened to Jodeci, I first started, you know, like identifying with Casey because he was just like, in your face, like, ah, like he was right yeah. there. So his voice. But then like once I played it for Cisco, cause Cisco was a Boys and Men fan. Like, he used to move his head like Wanye and sing like him and everything. We ended up switching. Yeah, we ended up switching tapes overnight for, like, a weekend. And when he came back that week, he came back with the clear outfit that they had on on Come and Talk to Me. He started ah. turning head backwards and everything. I said, oh, no, he want to be this man too bad. I was, I'm going to get off. <laughs> and I'm going to go, see what, I mean, go see, what, see what the brother talking about. So then I just started like patterning a lot of my style, you know, like around JoJo with the real smooth vocals and stuff. I always say 
K and, and Teddy P and them is the ones that <clears throat> they going crawl and they going get to get the panties. And then you got the guys like JoJo, Steve from Troop and people like that that's going to finesse the, the panties yeah. away, you know? And I just decided to become that type of singer. So like once I started singing R&B, JoJo was like my main influence, like him, Steve from Troop, like people like that that sound smooth. So after the funeral, I was, you know, we went to the repass or whatever. Yeah. So. I didn't really want to say that for you, Jojo, because not I wasn't mad, but I was like embarrassed. I was like, hey, whatever I did to make that man walk out, I'm like, dang, I'm mad. He probably don't like me, or he probably don't think, you know, like too good of me or whatever. But like, I happened to walk past him because one of his cousins is one of was one of my neighbors. So of course I said, what's up to the neighbor when he said, what's up to me or whatever. And Jojo like grabbed me. He's very you met you met them before, right? Yes. And you know, Joe's very like as quiet as he is. He's, on stage, he's, like, he's quiet. I've never seen him outspoken. Not like I, he really he don't say much. No, nah, you, know, you ain't been around him long enough. Okay. Because, like, okay. Same. Smacked my arm when I got tattoos and stuff like that. Like really, like a family vibe. But this is the first time really meeting him. And he just like grabbed me when I walked past his cousin and dabbed his cousin up, and I just walked past him and he said, "No, he just grabbed me." He said, "Come here." I say yes, sir, because at that time they still, you know, like mm-hmm. they ain't old, but they's older than me, and I, somebody I looked up to. Yeah. He grabbed me to him. He's like, "You sung that motherfucker, boy," and I'm like, "Yo, that's like besides Stevie Wonder, that's my favorite singer of all time." So for him to tell me that I sung something, where's though before that, and I didn't tell you, I wanted to be a comedian. Like I sung as doing it. I wanted to do impression. Like my mom, I say, "Yo, he used to call himself the master impressionist." And he yeah. used to turn back to the camera, and then he'd turn back around and do an impression of somebody. Yeah. That's how I started singing in school. Like, I always sung in church, but from school, I was doing an impression. And then, like, girls started, when I would tell my jokes before, they would, like, hee-hee and keep going. But when I sung, it got quiet outside, and then they was like, do that again, boy. So I did it, and then I learned a whole bunch of other songs, but I would always do them in that person's voice to the best of my ability. So when I sung that song at the church, I wasn't trying to sound like nobody. I was just mm-hmm. singing it on the way my mom told me to sing it. And so for him to say that, and that's one of my favorite singers, is for him to feel what I was doing, I'm like, dang, maybe I am. All right, maybe I'm not whack as I thought I was for real, because like, I definitely don't think he whack. Like, I think he's awesome. So for him to say that, I think that was like right up there. Like those right there were my best, best points in my career. You know, like as far as like to being with the group and just being able to meet people who I always was a fan of and then them have a mutual respect or love for me, you know, like or at least acknowledge me as an artist the same way that I acknowledge them. Like as far as the bad down points. Any, any, uh, like when I say down points, I mean like any like stage malfunctions, anybody trick or yeah, fall off stage. Oh, I, but I'm gonna tell you the, the, the best one. I was in McDonald's. And it was like a hood McDonald's where I live or whatever. And it was a little baby, or maybe they were just short, but they looked to be all at like five years old, mm-hmm. maybe. And like the baby kept saying, excuse me, excuse me. They was behind me in line. So I'm not thinking they talking to me like, I don't know this baby. And I don't just walk around talking to random people's children. You know, mm-hmm. cause my mother ain't played no strangers talking to me or my sister. So I don't just go around familiarizing myself with little children. So the baby just kept saying, excuse me, excuse me. And I wouldn't turn around because I didn't think he was talking to me. It was a whole bunch of other people in the line also. So I figured they must have talked to somebody else. And after about the 10th, excuse me, the little baby said, that's why you dance like that in the videos. And popped off, you know? So I'm like, yo, I got played by a child, yo. Yo, that is, yo, that's funny. And again, he meant it too. He meant that with all his heart. The way he said it and the way he, he bopped off afterwards, because I surely turned around when he said that. Like I knew that he knew who I was or whatever. So it's like when he said that, and I saw his face, I saw how he bopped off. Like he mommy, what's the little comedian baby? His name, he's not a baby, but he always said, I'm not baby, I'm not baby, I'm Jonathan. You know what I'm talking about. It's so a little many. comedy. Uh, I don't know. His name, I can't pronounce his name, but he kind of reminded me of him. Like the whole face and the whole attitude was just like that for real. How how old do you think he was? Like he got he had to be about seven or eight. He, to, he was five. Oh, five six. Yeah, he was a little little baby, a little child. That's why you dance like that in the video. Wow, I'm like, why are you doing watching my videos anyway? Like you ain't old enough. 
Shit, man. That what they say we was for our demographic was from eight to eighty, man. We was for everybody. Like we ain't do a lot of cussing. We ain't do a lot. I mean, even back then it was different from now. Like we might have songs that would have sexual themes or growing up. But but it wasn't it wasn't blatant. Like you wasn't coming on the track like girl, let me suck on you and all that. Y'all was and and you know, palatable. Now Mm -hmm. it's just everything's just raw. Like every you don't gotta guess like I hear and people play that stuff around children too. It's like it's it's weird to me. Like our parents used to cover our ears or something mm-hmm. like now. Like the kids be singing along and twerking and TikTok into it and I'm like, man, even I'm getting old or something because I just I, it just and, made me happy. That's that's why I can't get jiggy with with new R and B now because I'm like yeah, like it's there's great R and B artists out there like great songs, but you know they get they get downplayed by the stuff that is is not that good to me so i'm like it, right. it's it's the songwriting for me it's the production because everything kind of sounds the same now i'm like this sound like the other 20 songs you just did so I'm like, i really can't get it and then there's there's people that think if they put out a hundred songs then i'm the greatest of all time i'm like yo it's quality over quantity my brother like you can have a million songs two all two million of them can be trashed but right if you can have one song like it's a lot of groups out here that have one song, but I'm like, that's pretty much all you need. Like right. that that song right there, like you wrote the hell out of that song. You can drop more albums, but it's that song that's gonna make me remember you. Right. And people can still come to shows and hear that one mm-hmm. song. Exactly. It's like the stuff, and it's so amazing that the stuff that we might have thought was garbage or not garbage, pissable back then sound like number one hits compared to the stuff that we hear now. It's like people, you, you, you hate you didn't appreciate it then. You like, man, exactly. damn, that was a good song. <laughs> if we would have supported them when they were out, maybe they'd still be out. <laughs> man, so that was that's that's a that's a funny story. So I'm gonna um, ask you one more one more question about a song that you stood out to me on, and then we're gonna go on to your your, your solo stuff. So um, okay, um, the song that a lot of people know you from is Five Steps. Mm-hmm. how you took that song over from the first everything from you first hearing it what was what what was the environment like when the song was written and what is the reaction people still give you to this day about that song man we um that was a song that Noke and his ex-girlfriend wrote together okay. like the lyrics it was a poem and that's what he would do a lot like he would bring poems and then he would come to us, the more melodic singing members or whatever, to basically change the, from a poem into a song. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was my job to make the melody of that song. And it was, um, he played the music on the um, piano and the music kind of reminded me of, um, you remember George Michael's song, uh, One More Try? I do. The original music reminded me of that. So my whole focus in going in was to make the melody sound so much different from that that it wouldn't you wouldn't even realize that the music sounded like that just to make a whole different melody and where george might have went left i'm gonna go right and just make it totally different that was like my whole focus and then when the other voices came on in on it then we i was like okay yeah we could do this because we just gonna make it a straight up church you know and, and i was and like that's a church song church. yeah i wanted to be song. like the, the one like current carpenter like just real you know like soulful but not hollery soulful just like nice and i don't want to say sweet but like if i would say like the still small voice like i wanted to just be singing like just nice and almost like cute i guess as opposed to just being like you know like i need that for somebody because my cousin he's a musician and he used to he used to do like commercials like he scores music like instrumental, like orchestral music and stuff. Like he used to be in the military, in the army, and he was like the conductor of the army band. And one thing he said to me is that the one thing I like about your songs, because I used to play him stuff since I was young, and he used to trash me and tell me my stuff was garbage and I need to practice and give me suggestions for other artists that I need to listen to. Like, oh yeah, that's what you need to listen to. This y'all need to listen to. Get y'all stuff like this. When holler at me when y'all hum me tight like this and throw me a take six CD or something like that. But like when I play him, Later stuff, he would be like, that's one thing I love about your music. It always builds. He said, you give it space to build. Like, you come in 
like mellow in the beginning and then the next verse might escalate a little bit. Next verse after that escalates and it comes to a climax. Whereas though a lot of artists at the time, like you just come in from the first hook, like, ah! Ah! Yeah. <laughs> there's nowhere really to go it's just that through the whole song you know so that was a big for me to let it build you know like all of my favorites did that stevie and you know like yeah. all the people that you let this stuff build up even boys the men they to come in real smooth and nice and then sean might come in behind him and he's still smooth and nice but he's gonna give you some slick riffs or whatever he's like exactly. yeah and then mike might talk a little bit then Wanye come in and just belting, ah! you know, it, it, it went somewhere. Like it started up here and then ended up here. So that was my whole thing to just make something, you know, like on my end, just to make something classic and leave room for the other two guys that come in and, and wail, to, to do the wailing. I was just going to come in and do the little pretty part, you know, in the beginning. Because to me, that that was like, I, I, I'd say this about everybody. I'm like, everybody has their purple rain. You know, Prince had purple rain. It's the biggest song. Like it's the most recognizable song. Y'all got a couple purple rains. Y'all got five steps. Tell me, um, beauty. That's a favorite. And it's just like it's y'all are, are are y'all were blessed to have more than one. Y'all wasn't a one hit wonder. Y'all wasn't a one album wonder. Like y'all y'all kept trailblazing, and that's why y'all get. When I see people talk about versus battles, they want to see a Drew Hill versus Jodeci. They want to see that, and I think y'all are the only ones that can really. Oh, man. I think y'all are the only ones that can really like go hit for hit with, with Jodeci. And I'm I'm a Boys to Men fan. People say Boys to Men can go hit to hit, but I'm like, they can. But I'm like, y'all had a lot of of hits. Y'all had a lot of hits. I'm not saying Boys to Men didn't, yeah. but I think y'all were the most comparable group to, to oh, yeah. Jodeci, definitely. So that I it's, think it's, I think that's familiar, a, too. for mm. me. I always I would like to see Guy and Jodeci because I I put it like this. Guy was like the not making them old, but you know, mm -hmm. I, Guy was grandfathers to the sound. Like they was the originators, originators. And then here you got Jodeci that reminded you of Guy. Like uh, from what I heard, the reason why Dalvin even joined the group because Dalvin had uh, um, scholarships on the table to play basketball, mm -hmm. but he actually got in so that it could be four of them as opposed to it being three guys sounding like another three guys that you know, like because people used to pay all a lot in the beginning. So it's like Dalvin joined the group. Now it's a whole different dynamic. So you don't get so much. To, um, he calls us Drudacy. He called us Drudacy because he said the first time he ever heard us, Jojo heard tell me before he did. And he just came to his house and woke him up, like banging on his door. And like, man, when we record this, <laughs> you know? So like, we definitely took a whole lot from them. But he said to me one time, because he always joked us like that or whichever one he see or whatever, he had joked about that. So he's like, but don't feel bad, though. Don't feel bad, Woody, man. He said, the same way how y'all felt about us is the same way how we felt about God. And I actually, they was on a show with God, and they had invited me up to, because it was in D.C., it was close. They invited me to come to the show or whatever. So um, I watched, watched guy on stage and the same look of awe and amazement and just admiration and love that we had whenever we got the chance to watch them is the same look that he had on his face the whole time he looked like he turned into 12 year old little cedric again watching aaron on stage you know and that's the same way that we felt it's all mutual love and respect so it's like i think it would be nice to just you know like if it was going to be done like all three involved like guy then jodeci and then my old group or whatever yeah. i wouldn't be in it but I would, yeah, I would, yeah, I probably would turn. I would turn in. I wouldn't be in the room though. I, yeah, I, 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 I know because because the, the best the best the verses are the ones I'd where they're in the same room. The room yeah, I'd be in the room with King and Joe and them, or I'd be sitting on their side. I wouldn't <laughs> be on the other side. I I I completely understand that, man. So after mm -hmm. um after y'all dropped the, the the third album um with what I love you and uh I should be on it everything after that it's probably pretty much everything calmed down and you went and did your own thing. You, um, you recorded a gospel album. So how is, um, how was recording your gospel album different when you like, you're like, I'm alone now. I got full control. Let me do my thing. Is that, was that your mindset walking into the gospel album? And I, yeah, pretty much. That's what I thought was going to happen. But 
it was basically like people in the record company that was like telling, well, people in my uh, former camp or whatever, telling the record company not to let me go, not to release me to put the album out and stuff like that, or not to let me get any promotion for this stuff because the whole thing was that I had already signed an agreement. Like it actually was before the third album. It was after the second album. And okay. so I had already signed an agreement that said if I, they released me to do an album, I had to agree to come back to do the third album. And I'm a man of my word. But I guess to, for them to make sure that I came back, they basically had clauses all in my gospel contract and not get a promotion, not get a video or anything like that because they wanted to make sure I came back. Like, they almost it almost didn't come out at all. Like, I had to keep pushing and pushing. And crazy enough, to a lot of people, still don't know it came out to this day. Like, I still run into people and they ask me, like, I remember one time you had left to do gospel. Like, whatever happened with that? It was no promotion. Like it came out. Like (laughs) I used to show up to in stores and stuff, and the people in the in store be like, "We happy you here, but why are you here? Like we ain't know you was coming and stuff like that." It's like very badly mishandled, you know. But at the same time, I will say this: it did. It was like I met a guy when I went. The guys that's in the group with Cisco now, Mm. the guys there. They are from Louisville, Kentucky, and I had went there with a guy who actually saved me and Cisco life before. We was in a shootout at the um, How Can I Be Down conference in the middle of a shootout, and he picked, that's back when I was skinny, and Cisco always been tiny, so he, like, he picked each one of us up and threw us over his shoulders. He's a big guy and carried us outside, so some kind of way we reconnected, and he brought me to Louisville to um, work, to do some gospel stuff with um at a church or whatever and so like it was a guy that i met that he introduced me to as a writer and a producer and he told me that his little brother died of cancer and he said when he was going through his pains and stuff like that before he passed he would always tell his brother to put what he rock on and tell his mom put what he rock on so it's like he would listen to my cd or tape or whatever whichever one it was back then and he would get comfort so i was like if it wasn't for nobody but him that it came out, then it, you know, that he knew it was out and it brought him comfort during them tough times. So that's good enough for me for real. And and actually like when like every time you I've seen you, you sent me a couple of, of tracks, you know, either some unreleased, some that were released, and I enjoyed them. Like you got a song called My Homie. That's one of my favorite oh, joints. Yeah. I, I love yeah. that song. I'm like, yo. Oh man, that's that is a, a, a great song. And I'm like, I'm like I believe you're one of probably the most slept on vocalists that we've been been exposed to. And I'm like, I'm like in my mind, every time I see you, I'm like, man, like I wish they would appreciate this brother. Like, cause you, you've done a lot for the industry. Like it, more than people know. Cause I'm like, yo, this guy, like y'all, y'all know this guy, you hear him every time you turn on the radio, like it's, it's him. But I believe like they, they definitely mishandled your career, definitely. And I think your gospel no, album should have took off. I got to take some responsibility too, because it's like when you're not, uh, one thing, the thing I used to say about JoJo all the time, it's like when you make stuff look too easy, mm-hmm. then people will believe that it's that easy. Like, it's like when people would compare that, that it's a comparison, because they like night and day to me, but yeah. both of them equally dope, Casey and JoJo. But it's like when you see K, he letting you know that he giving you his all. Every yeah. time he's he's coming out his clothes, he's walking the aisles, he's running he's through the eating chicken on his shoulder. He, exactly, he's chicken. <laughs> he letting you know that he giving you a show. Whereas exactly. though Jojo will sit there and sing some notes that are unheard of to man, but the whole time he's swinging his towel back and forth. The, t- so the towel, the, yeah, definitely the towel. Think, right, make you think that you could do what he's doing. You see what I'm saying? Making you think in your mind, you thinking that it's that easy because he's making it look that easy. And so I, I, I saw somebody mm-hmm. compare. Um, that was like the only person that can vocally touch JoJo in the '90s was Kevon from After Seven. Right, right. Remember that they was the did only the, person. The milestone joint. Yeah. Yeah, that was the only person that could touch JoJo's vocals. I'm like, yeah, he can get up there with JoJo, but I'm like, yo, just K and Joe's vocals, especially on Never Say Never and stuff like that. I'm like, yo, Ooh, that's a bad one. That's never a say never. Everybody. Yes, sir. The, the the vocal arrangement, everything is on that man. So Lewis, that's the guy that just passed away recently. Was named Big Jim Wright. Yeah, they did the own vocal arrangements on that man. That's one of the ones. I ain't even know nobody was down with that one but me, man. That's one of my favorites. But yeah. hey, be be glad because I think a couple of their performances got ruined on TV thanks to Martin and Jamie Foxx. 
because they went on they went on Martin and then got ruined and then Jamie Foxx bought them on the show where they sang never sang never and he ruined it. So I I think comedy that's where I think comedy and music came together right there because I'm like yo because they should be used to people ruining they they uh their performances by now. They should right. be used to it. So that makes people come to the concerts and be like you know what I can get up there and ooh yeah just like him and then. I'm like, exactly. nah, don't do that. K gonna punch you in your face. He looked like he was ready to um, go at Martin for real. How he was looking when he was it, When I found out that wasn't, when I found out that wasn't staged, I'm like, oh, that was right. real. Right, exactly. Like, oh. He was really hot. Martin Lucky. But it was made for great TV, <laughs> and it's still like to this day, people still reposting that clip on on IG and stuff. So. Every time I see Tommy Davidson, I'm like, yo, please tell me what it was like on that set that day. He was like, bro, he was like, oh, Casey and JoJo were hot. He was like, they were, they were hot. That was, like, that, he was like, that was it. He was like, I was over there in the corner, like, Martin might get his ass whooped. Like, <laughs> and that that was that would have been must-see TV. Remember the one that Tommy and um, Jamie did when they were saying doing lately? I remember that one. Yeah, that I was remember. funny. No, I didn't know that, that um, Tommy Davidson could sing like that. Tommy like, can sing. Jamie's one of my favorites, but I didn't know that Tommy had uh, them chops about his stuff, man. He, Tommy, he um, I just did a show with Tommy, uh, what, two weekends ago, and the what? last 10 minutes of his set, he sings. Like, he, he sings, mm-hmm. like, favorites, and they, like, people are like, yo, he can sing. He can right. sing. I had no idea. He was that dude. Hey, don't let, don't let Barnell Hill fool you. That boy can blow. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, man. But you, but you, um, Every time I come to be more like you, you there in, in the crowd. So you a big fan of comedy yourself. So I love it. I wanted to be a comedian for real. That was I told my, you I'm gonna put you up next time I come, man. Hey, well let me get some stuff together now because I, <laughs> I don't want to get up there. Them people looking at me and stuff and they expect me to be funny. Like y'all, I need to get a little experience under my belt. Hey, but y'all, y'all cool. are a hard crowd. Baltimore, Baltimore is a hard crowd. Y'all don't play. Like if you don't bring it, they smell blood. If they like, oh, he about to cry. Let's boom some more. Boo, like mm-hmm. they like that. So I I understand for from where y'all came, y'all had to bring it. Like that's that's what made yeah. y'all so so strong, y'all's crowd. But Baltimore mm-hmm. shows love, and like I said, like you you're you were front row when I did uh, you know a couple of jokes that people are kind of sensitive to, you know about the truth. And, oh yeah. Okay. And, and I almost got punched in my face a couple times for that, but I'm like, hey, you, you serious, man? I I did it out here. You know, I'm in the Bible Belt, so. Yeah, they don't yeah. like when you talk about, you know, stuff like that about Jesus is black and like all that. Yeah. Like, they they don't want to hear that. So when I when yeah, I do the joke, it's right in there. That same book they claim they love. If they really read it, they see exactly that you're not lying. And you're not making it up. And that's that's why I got I got I got to chase it with stuff like I can say it, but I have to chase it with something like that's passable. Yeah, so I'm like look. okay. So I'm like okay. I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna give you some truth. But I'm gonna chase right. it with this to 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 put some you know, put a bandaid on the hurt that I just gave you because it's the truth. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. You gotta do that sometimes. It's just like when you're little and you can't swallow pills, and sometimes your mama put it in some applesauce or something like that, so you mm-hmm. still get the pill, and you don't even realize you got to actually. You're like, I don't want to take a pill. Like, look, you just took it. I can't swallow the pill. You already swallowed it. It's gone. It was then, in that episode. Then, then every time you drink that juice, you're gonna taste that pill, no matter if the pill's in it or mm-hmm. not. That stuff is in your. <laughs> That's just like some liquor that you ain't had no business having until your stomach up. And every time you taste it, you remember that whole experience of what happened that time. That's, that's, that's me and Bacardi. That's, that's mm-hmm. me right there. Yeah, that was me and Bailey's. The Bailey's cream. Oh, man. Man. <laughs> the, tore me up on the empty stomach. Man, I, I, I learned a lot for like over the years about hanging because, you know, I tore Brandon T because, you know, he, he's, he's yeah. a Hebrew Israelite that's out there. Like, he, he, oh, he yeah. didn't give a damn what people think. He gonna wear his dashiki. He gonna put his feet out. He gonna tell you <laughs> the truth. <laughs> so when I when I met you, and I'm like, oh, what? Okay, so you're hip, and you've been hip. Like you was hip a long time ago. Yeah. So it's just like, is is it is it frustrating to see like people still like in the old habits that never helped us? Is it, like, is it frustrating to see that, or you just mind your business and let people just like, yo, that's what you believe. I'm gonna let you do that. When I first started, it's something called zeal. Where mm-hmm. when you first get into the truth, you're mm-hmm. so excited and you want to wake everybody else up. Yeah. You want to make everybody else know what you know. Like, oh, you remember that movie called They Live? 
with Roddy Roddy Piper and the um Keith David. He said the longest fight scene in movie history. I don't know if it still is because it's been a couple years since the guy pointed it out. He said that's the longest fight scene in the history of movies. The fight between Roddy Piper and Keith David to get him to put the glasses on to see what he's seen, and that go to let you know that that's going to the hardest fight, longest fight that you will have. So I came to the conclusion that it's like either you know I'm gonna spend all my life and time trying to get everybody else to see what I see. Or either I can just lead by example and live the way that I know to live, and hopefully somebody will see it and follow suit. See what I'm saying? Because like in the book of Ezekiel in the Bible, not to get too biblical, but mm-hmm. it says your job, your only job is to blow the trumpet as the watchman. So it's like what people do with it after you show it to them is up to them. They say whether they hear it or whether they don't hear it. The fact that you pointed it out, the blood is off your hands. It used to be a, a, a um hip-hop song back in the day, I think it was on the same soundtrack that we was on, it called, a guy called J.O. Felony, he said, I could give it to you, but what you gonna do with it? I could give it to you, but what, 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 what? And mm. that's where I'm at. I drop my little gems or whatever, I put my little posters up, and the people that feel them, that's good. The people that don't feel them, that's good too, because I did my part when I said what was said. So whatever they do with it, that's where I'm at now. Like Whatever they do with it is on them. I don't have time. Exactly. And, and- I, I like the fact that you're 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 a, you're a chill one because there's some people that are just in your face. I'm like, yo, I'm gonna listen, but damn, like, let me learn on my own. Because Brandon was like that when he first like was exposed to it because I couldn't That's do nothing around him. When they first start, like I told my don't don't be confused, don't be fooled. I was the same way. I mm-hmm. told my ex that she was going to hell because we driving down the street and this is before we had the um. Google Maps and all that on the phone. So we had like the map quest where you actually had the map or you wrote out the directions or whatever from online and then you sit there and bring them with you. Mm-hmm. So I'm telling her something that I learned from about the truth. And she like, all right, I hear you. I'm gonna listen to you, but I need you to tell me I'm coming up on this light right here. I need you to tell me if I need to make a right or left or keep going. And my trail holler, see, I knew you weren't gonna make it into the kingdom. I'm sitting here telling you some <laughs> stuff about the kingdom and telling you about making it. And you asked me about a right or left. All right, that's all right. I enjoy you while I got you right here because I ain't gonna see you where I'm going at. Just because oh, she ain't wanna do it. So we all it's a sta- it's a stage. Not to knock it on anybody, but yeah. I know that it is a stage that we all go through when we first get hit with that truth because it's so much that we have been lied to about. When you first get a that lot. revelation, you want to show everybody. You want to share that with everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's all love. I'm not clowning. It's like, it's all love. Like, you want the best for the people that you care about. But exactly. one thing that I've learned personally, you can't want it more for a person than they want it for themselves. themselves. So like you got somebody that's in an abusive relationship and they getting their behind handed to them every night. You can't be more upset about it than them. Like, I know somebody personally who told me a story where though they came in to stop someone from beating on one of their loved ones and they ended up like whipping the, the person ass that was beating their loved one and the loved one turned on them it was like you ain't had to hit them like that and they mm-hmm. ended up jumping the person who came to help you see what i'm saying so it's like you can't you just gotta learn to like after a while you learn that sometimes people like what that means say you can't defeat the demons that you enjoy playing with so sometimes people like the stuff that we think that they want to be free from. Some people don't want to be free from it. What's that song? Project Pet. Don't save her. Yeah, she you don't want to be saved. Yeah. You can't say right, but some people don't want to be saved. Some people like it right where they at. And, and you that, and, telling and, them something. And that's why I understand the, I understand the frustration with that. I'm like, okay, I, I understand why you're frustrated. For a long time, I couldn't do nothing around Brandon. Like he he would go on these rants and be like you like, man, see, that's why you're not going to make this in the kingdom. You over here eating bacon. Mm-hmm. Like, this nigga, I'm like, bro, like, let me enjoy my life. Like, like since then, I've cut back on, like, I'm like, you know what? He's right. I'm not supposed mm-hmm. to be eating shrimp or none of that. Like, you can't eat no bottom feeders. You can't eat, uh, you can't eat no pork. Yeah. And, I, and I understand that. So he, like, being around him, I think it, it helped me understand stuff better. Mm-hmm. Knowing you helped me understand stuff mm-hmm. better. So I'm like, okay. I'm gonna apply that, but I'm yeah. not gonna force it on who doesn't want to listen. You can't force nothing on no grown person. You really can't force nothing on no kid because there's plenty of times exactly. where people first told them not to wear certain stuff to school and then they still put it in their backpack. Like, sure, even me, the group used to have, like, Cisco was the one who was the last man standing with the blonde hair. He wasn't the first one with the blonde hair. No kid yeah. first. And then, like, all of them used to have it. Like this was during the time that my mother took me out of the group. But even when they were singing after school and they would come up so I could sing with them, I had spray dye 
And that's how I found out the whole thing started making sense with me. There's two things in one about the Messiah being the color of burnt bronze because I went and got a spray dye that I, because I learned early that if you ask your parents and they tell you you can't do something, it's a difference with though you never actually you just went and did it. And then when you tell you you ain't supposed to be doing it, you get a shot like, oh, I ain't know. You ain't never told me I couldn't do it. So I went and bought spray dye and I used to spray like a little stripe in the middle of my head, like palm A in yeah. the middle of it. So this color that I got was bronze. And I used to, I had two ordeals where I tried to cut my hair when I was in school and I ended up with bald spots. So when I sprayed the bronze dye in the front of my head, it was the exact same color as my face. So people from a distance thought it was another haircut ordeal. So that's why I learned I'm bronze. So the Messiah is the color of burnt bronze. He had to be darker than me and I'm not nowhere near light. I'm pretty brown myself. So it's like, if he's brown than me, then he's like brown, he's blackity black. <laughs> you feel me? Yeah. Ain't no around it. So it's like, I learned that, but at the same time, me doing that, me doing, I brought that up to say that, um, and why did I bring that up to say? I got lost. Every time I talk about the Messiah, I get excited. You remember? That's why I, I brought, brought it up. For a reason. Yeah, I brought that up for a reason with the, um, Kyle, I got to plug this phone up the battery. No, you good, man. Get ready, Dawson. Let me put this in here really quick. And put it in the wall. My angle's gonna change. I'm gonna be a little closer to my ugly wall. <laughs> but we're gonna get through it. All right, there we go. But that that that's why I wanted to ask you uh, questions about about the truth and everything because I I see, I've watched um, all of your interviews and like you never really went into nobody really asked you about the, you know the truth about that. So I'm like dude, I gotta ask this man because I'm like this this has to be a different interview because you don't want 200 mm -hmm. of the same interviews on YouTube, you like, man, this man been talking about the same thing forever. Mm -hmm. If you seen one, you seen them all. Exactly. Now, I appreciate that from you, man. That's, you've always been, like, as long as I've known you, you've always been different from everybody else who does the same thing that you do or do something similar. Like, you found that thing, and that's what it's all about to me, finding the one thing or finding the things that make you unique. You see what I'm saying? And you've yes. been able, like, you're a comedian. But you can't put you with this guy or put you with this guy because you got your own brand of even your comedy and your performance on stage. I can't really compare you to nobody else. You're very unique. And I that's definitely a blessing. And I, I respect that about you and I appreciate that about you. And I appreciate that you haven't asked me no question that so far that is just like the common question that everybody asks. Like, oh boy, you ain't listen to the lead. That's when people like you go on some social media and you watch people in the comments section. And they'd be like, such and such, rest in peace to such and such. And then everybody asked the same question, what happened to him? Yeah. You know how anybody know how he died? And they asked, they answered it in the first time that somebody asked. So then everybody just like, read the comments before you, read the ones before you. Exactly. So like when you interview somebody, it's like, watch the ones before you, then you know the answer to those questions. You can ask something else. You feel me? So I definitely appreciate this is a refreshing interview. I have to say that. This is very I, refreshing. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm just I'm just now getting started, man. So I, I got a couple of, of interviews lined up and like hey. I'm just trying to um highlight because there's there's a lot of podcasts, you know, that put highlights on hip hop artists and like the past like hip hop artists, I think they, they're mm -hmm. getting their just due because hip hop is the number one play thing in the world right now. But I'm like, it's like R and B just disappeared. Uh, it's it just it's just disappeared. Like right. into it's R&B is now like in the category with hip hop. When you go to award shows, it's like they put them together. So it's, right. it's it's not a separate entity no more. So I'm like, yo, it's like these guys are just walking around Atlanta. Like I see Tony Terry in Walmart. And I'm like, bro, you just walk around Walmart. Really? Like, like, what are you doing? Man, like, that's a cold singer too, boy. I remember that. Went on with you and what's the other song? Everlasting Love Everlasting, came out? Yeah. Man, that dude, that dude got some moves, man. Damn, um, He's dope. But that's uh, the thing. And you want to know something too? Before that, hip hop was the small one, and R and B yes. was the big deal. Like back in the day, like I remember VH1 slogan used to be playing all the best hits and, and no rap. That was their slogan, and now like the whole network is based rap. around rappers. Even if it's not them actually rapping, it's like the love and hip hop series and all that stuff. It's all about the rap. But when I was first coming up, rap was like the baby, and R and B was the big deal, and that's what I used to rap. Like, that's another thing that I wanted to be besides a comedian. Like, I used to actually rap, but I never could, like, take myself seriously. Like, my lyrics and my look didn't match. <laughs> Nowadays, you can look like anything. But back then, I had, like, the Steve Urkel look, but I was rapping, like, 
Ice Cube and and Easy E type of lyrics for real, because that's the type of stuff I would make up. So, so you and my I'm, side I'm, talking about you about to swing on some niggas. You about to? Yeah, <laughs> I, I took a bit of Ghostwriter for real. Like I had the big old glasses, my teeth was out right good. So I was like, man, who am I? I'm gonna intimidate singing these raps like this. So I was like, if, if I'd have knew about ghostwriters back then, I probably could have ghostwritten for somebody, but my little image. Then again, I could have been a novelty too. I could have been like the black Pee Wee Herman or something, who knows? But that's why I tell you, I gotta find something else to do. They could more so believe me singing. Cause if I took, I used to take my glasses off and school girls used to tell me I was cute, but nobody never told me I looked like a gangster. So I, I couldn't fulfill so you, that. So you was like, forget it, I'ma sing, I'ma sing. I'ma just leave, just yeah. let me sing, I got you. Yeah, oh, man. yeah, I got to do something with it so I really can, where well, I'm believable, because I was always big on believability. Man, hey, man, like, once again, I, I appreciate you for doing this interview. Hey, if if, if people request it, we, it might be a part two. We'll see. Like, if anything else comes to my mind, we're going to have to do a, a part two. Um, but yeah, I'm with it, brother. You know, we brothers, man. It ain't nothing but a phone call. We can make it happen. Most I, most I willing, man. Just hit me. Absolutely, man. I just, man, thank y'all for tuning in. That is my boy Woody. Man, thank you sure. so much again. This is the Love to Laugh podcast. I thank y'all for tuning in. Until next time, appreciate y'all. Peace. I love you. I need.